0: My name is Peter Ward, and welcome to the Solutions to Go podcast, your source for information on investing, insurance, banking, tax planning, and healthy living. If you'd like to know more about anything discussed on this podcast, please visit mysolutionsonline.ca, where you'll find a wide variety of articles and videos. I'm pleased to have Curtis Davis back on the show. Curtis is on the tax and retirement team here at Manulife, and today we're talking all about RESPs. You may have been contributing to an RESP for your child since they were born, but now is the time to start drawing it down for their post-secondary education. When the money is paid out of a plan, the various types of payments and tax treatments can cause confusion. We'll talk about some of the more tax-efficient ways to draw down an RESP, as well as some of the other ways to use the funds if post-secondary education is not required. We'll also talk about the one time the procrastination may be a good thing. Welcome to the show, Curtis.
1: Thanks for having me again, Peter. A pleasure to be here.
0: So today we're going to be talking about RESPs, and I'll just jump right into the questions. So maybe take us through some of the differences between an RESP and an RRSP or a TFSA. Why is it better to use one plan specifically for your child's education versus a TFSA, where withdrawals would be tax-free? And following on to that, are RESP contributions tax deductible? Do they act more like an RRSP or a TFSA in the contribution stage?
1: Peter, I'd probably say you know an RESP is is really a hybrid. I think of a TFSA and RRSP. And maybe I'll add with a little cherry on top. Okay. Uh, so when you think of an RESP, the contributions that go in are not tax deductible. So very much like a TFSA, when they're withdrawn by the subscriber or in the future, they're also not taxable. So there's your TFSA component. Um, the investment earnings, so as you're inve- if you invest and you grow, or earn interest, dividends, you know, have realized capital gains, um, those are not taxable in the account, but they would be taxable when they're withdrawn. So there's the, the component that's similar to an RSP. That, that same kind of thing happens. The cherry on top is really that the government uh, in an RESP will make contributions. So the, the first part is they'll, they'll match a portion of your contributions uh, through the Canada Education Savings Grant. So the basic amount is 20% of your contributions per year. So the maximum you can get is $500 per year or $1,000 if you missed a previous year. And so you can kind of do two years in one. Okay and the lifetime the maximum they'll pay over the for per beneficiary for their lifetime is uh, 7200 in addition there's a Canada learning bond which isn't tied to contributions it's tied to household income so if they're in, for low income families a Can- if they're eligible the Canada learning bond will be paid in 500 bucks in the first year plus $25 for to cover expenses to open and then it's $100 per year uh, for each year after that, uh, up to a lifetime maximum, I, I believe it's $2,000 there.
0: Okay, so the government kind of tops up your, your RESP, and then the tax treatment is, is sort of like a TFSA, you would say?
1: In that case, so that's a good point. I should have finished that thought. Is, so then the grant, when it's withdrawn, for education purposes only, which is the only option, it would be taxable, okay. so like an RSP, but it's actually would be taxable to the student. In, in the, and we'll cover, I'm sure, we'll talk more about educational withdrawals. But the student is the one that would have the taxable income there.
0: Let's talk about um, paying for education with the RESP. Can you explain what makes up the RESP, like the, the certain sections, like you mentioned earlier, the PSE and the EAP, and what they are and how they work?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the PSE is a post-secondary education withdrawal mm-hmm. Uh, for me it's a fancy way of saying a withdrawal of your contributions. Right, and now that, that
0: would be the student take the money out to pay for education. Right. Okay. So that
1: but that's the that's the contributions. So the contribution that were made by the subscriber. Okay. I'm, usually it's a parent or a grandparent, but it doesn't have to be right. you know, all, all the time. So those are like I said before, those are always tax free. So the EAP, which is the educational assistance payment. So that would be taxable to the student. Obviously, they have to be eligible. They have to be enrolled in a post-secondary education. Uh, it can be part-time or full-time. It can be a Canadian school. It can be a non-Canadian school. It's, it's it, There is some flexibility there. Okay. But that would include the government grants and bond that I talked about, uh, as well as any investment earnings. So those three, those, those kind of components make up... Um, the the EAP payment, Mm -hmm. and that would be taxable to the student. So it's as if they take it out and report it, not the subscriber, who's, I'm going to guess, in a higher tax bracket. Is that
0: the idea behind that, is that, you know, the student's using the money to pay for education, so it should be taxed in their hands. They're Technically, going to be in a lower tax bracket usually.
1: Correct. And, and I mean, really, that is the intent of the RESP, right. the Education Savings Plan, is we, we're ultimately, that's the goal. Like we pay for a post secondary education for that student who's the beneficiary, absolutely.
0: I, it might, we may be getting into too many details here, but is, is there a way that that's broken down inside of the RESP? Like, this much came from contributions. This much came from grants, and then they're all taxed differently,
1: right? Correct. So, the yes, the our, so that would be the financial institution's job okay. to, to, to keep, maintain, track. keep track of those buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, contributions absolutely are tracked, and then earnings as well as uh, the government incentives. I'll just call them that. It's, I'm bucketing the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the grants and bonds. There's yeah. two provinces, I believe, that also have okay. their, some incentives, but there, there used to be more that those programs have kind of closed. Uh, so I'll focus on the federal ones, but yeah. you, so yes. So when you take an EAP, that, por- that it is there's a formula that we don't have to memorize. The point yeah. is, you, you can't. It, the idea behind the formula is to make sure you're you're not able to just simply draw out all the grant money or all the government incentives all in one shot up front. Okay. You're taking out. Uh, proportionally from the investment earnings and the grant. If you keep contributions in, they can keep growing. So then you keep kind of cha- increasing the investment earnings. Right. So th- at a high level, you kind of want to be pulling from both the tax-free and the taxable mm-hmm. and trying to draw them down ultimately get all that grant money out is is usually the big goal Uh,
0: so the the obviously if you're a lower income you you get uh benefits from the the savings bond is is there an ideal client for an RESP like if you're incredibly affluent maybe you're just going to pay for your child's education like is there a sweet spot
1: here where uh, depending on your income you can maximize the benefits i would say like it it fits for all income levels um you know, to the the kind of affluent, if we go, we'll start with that at kind of end of the spectrum. I mean, they might not, they might be able to afford to pay for their kids' education, yeah. but maybe not. It's, they don't have the cash in hand right, right. away, so yeah. they uh, having a vehicle to put that. They have the cash flow to put the money aside and build up a big enough nest egg, and why not take advantage of some of the tax deferred nature, of the government grants, and so on. Okay. Uh, for lower income households, you know, maybe if they don't have the ability to save as much, the good news is the government pays more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that to help support those those contributions and, and help them build up some kind of, of savings or nest egg there. Okay, that makes yeah.
0: sense. So it's always when they design these vehicles, I'm always curious about who they suit the best. But that's good that it's almost universal.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you can make an argument uh, on on most income levels yeah. of households that an RESP can can serve a purpose, can meet help meet the goal there. Absolutely.
0: So the taxable portion of withdrawals for education are taxable in the student beneficiary's hands. Why is that a good thing? I know we kind of touched on this, but maybe let's just dive into it a little bit.
1: Yeah, so you know, I, d- I actually kind of looked up quickly with Stats Canada. They track okay. um, tuition costs across okay. the country. Uh, so last year, the 22, 23 year, it, the average undergraduate and I know there might be people listening going that's not what I paid I, you know <laughs> if you're at, you, yeah. you know I know if yeah. you're in maybe a big university in right. the big cities it's different but just the average was about six thousand eight hundred and thirty four dollars so just because I can't add without a calculator <laughs> let's call it seven thousand just Sounds for a round good. number <laughs> right and then students like the rest of us are all eligible for the basic personal amount basic personal amount is fifteen thousand a year federally mm-hmm right, gives us a, a credit of 15% of that. So it kind of wipes out federal tax on the first 15000 okay. of income. So students get that, we get that, everyone gets that. And then you have the tuition tax credit, right, where you get a tax credit for the amount of tuition you pay. So let's say the amount of tuition paid was 7000 just using that average. Yeah. So right off the bat, you have a student who has the ability to save, like pay no federal tax, say, on the first 22000 of income they okay. make, right, right off the hop. Uh, you know roughly in our little hypothetical yeah, yeah. scenario right <laughs> so they're there now the province at a provincial level there's also a basic personal amount mm-hmm. and the vast majority of the provinces also have a tuition credit mm-hmm. the amount of the basic personal amount might vary so our worst case scenario is maybe we're looking at a little provincial tax so for a, i think a lot of students that that's they're probably even with you to add in some eap add in some employment income right a summer job or maybe they work part-time uh, you know, Christmas or through the year, that right. kind of thing, that might be enough where they're not even paying tax on that, that amount. Okay. Um, so c- contrast that, say, with the subscriber, like the parent who's working full time and might be in a, who, who knows, a 30, 40, 50% yeah, exactly. tax bracket. Yeah. Uh, it already, you can see it would be, yeah, if I had to pick, uh, that's who I'd want paying the taxes. is my, Absolutely. my student, Yeah. <laughs> the and student beneficiary, not me. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a, an excellent way to do that.
0: And that is blowing my mind. That's the average cost. I mean, I think when I went to college, it was like two grand.
1: <laughs> and I'm just, and that was just tuition. I know yeah. I've seen some of the fee schedules and they're a mile long yeah. of all these other in, and, and that's those expenses are real. I'm not taking that away. I'm just going by. I, I agree with you. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's a big number compared to what it yeah. used to be. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so and then so
0: we'll piggyback on that. And if there's enough income to be taxable, what are some strategies that the student might want to consider around tax time?
1: Yeah, and, you know, like the rest of us, there, there are other tax credits and deductions available. Um, it's, it's interesting, actually, CRA has their own website where they say, here's the common deductions and credits that students okay. yeah. use. Um, so they would have that data, obviously. Um, so some they kind of used that jumped out at me was the, uh, like the Canadian employment amount. Mm-hmm. It's not a big one, but, hey, if the student has employment income... Yeah, yeah. I mean, claim it. Absolutely, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's another credit. Um, you know, there may be students with young children, so there's like childcare expenses involved. That's that's a. I know now that's a tax deduction, mm-hmm. but if you're paying those expenses, we know that can be quite high. You know, use it, take advantage of that. If the student has eligible moving expenses, now they have to be full time. They they get a tax deduction for those eligible moving expenses. One of the downsides is they can only claim it against kind of income related to their education, Think of like scholarships, bursaries, oh, okay. uh, those kind of things. Yeah. But again, if that income's in the mix and you have those eligible expenses, mm-hmm. you know, why not take yeah. it if you can? Uh, so th- just other ways, so like the rest of us, kind of look at your overall situation, see if there's other especially credits, but if there's the odd deduction you can take advantage of and yeah. chip away at some of those taxes, you know, why not?
0: And that's one of those great times to recommend maybe a tax professional to talk to. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> You yes. know, and say, this yeah. is my situation, what what can you do for me, right? Yeah, because it,
1: it might be a simple just, hey, did you know? And, yeah, yeah and, and, exactly. And, you know, you just yeah. got to, it's there for, for the claiming, if you will, and yeah, and you just, yeah. you don't know what you don't know.
0: Exactly, yeah, I think yeah. back to the times when I, I tried to go it alone and I probably left a lot of money on the table from different things, right? So. One of the best things I ever did was have an accountant at tax time, and it's it's great. Yeah, That's right. That's right. Well, that's what they're there for. Ask yeah. the right questions. Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, if, yeah.
1: if there's something there to be taken, why not? Yeah. Say, you're allowed to do it, so take it. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: That, that rings true. You don't know what you don't know. I but, like that. Right. <laughs> Let's pivot a little bit, and uh, let's say that the RASP isn't going to be used. Post-secondary education is not on the table for the, the beneficiary. What should people consider before closing up an RASP?
1: The first option, believe it or not, is just to procrastinate. Okay. I'm not a fan of procrastination, <laughs> generally speaking, but with an RESP, it could be a good thing. Okay. Um, the reason I say that is you can actually have an RESP open for up to 36 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so it, yeah, it has to be closed yeah. after its 35th year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the benef- if it's an individual plan, the beneficiary is eligible for the disability tax credit, you have up to 40 years. Okay. So, I, I, I mean, if you're in the never say never kind of camp and you think there's still a chance, you could simply wait it out yeah. and keep the account open until you absolutely have to close. You know, if waiting it out's not an option, a couple other options to look at. If there are siblings, uh, as an example, you can replace the beneficiary. So replace, let's say, Myself, I, you know if, if I was the right age, you know maybe re- add, replace me with my sister mm-hmm. on the RESP, okay. um, or alternatively transfer my RESP to her RESP, uh, so that way everything stays intact, mm-hmm. and then my sibling could use the. Oh, RESP. And, and
0: that's like just a, a straight transfer in kind almost of, of your RESP to a sibling's RESP. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. Now, if you that's usually you would see that if it's in it in individual plans. Mm-hmm. Let's say a family plan was set up. So my sister and I were the beneficiaries on the same plan. The other thing is, well, if I'm not going to go to school, okay, that's too bad. But my sister could still use those funds. And since you have a family plan, you've kind of got that sibling sharing function already in place. So leave it, wait for the final beneficiary to take advantage of the full account.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because to siblings, education costs could be wildly different depending on what they do. So maybe a family plan is a good idea for you know multiple children.
1: You know I and I'd be honest I usually refer like recommend uh, especially when it's a parent or grandparent opening the account because the family plan has a few restrictions. It has to be by bloodline oh, from the I children see. so straight up. Okay. So I know aunts and uncles are bloodlines but yeah. they're you know if you think of a family tree yeah, now know. you're going left and right kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Okay. Uh, so a parent or grandparent I usually suggest you know when that first child is is the, you're opening it for the first child do it as a family plan. Okay. You know because if child number two comes along long. Um, You you don't have to open a whole new RESP or, you know, open a new one and transfer it into a family. You're already in a family plan, Mm. add the beneficiary and go. Okay,
0: so this could even happen if the the sibling hasn't yet been born right oh, okay okay yeah. so that is a, that is a good benefit
1: that, that is a, a, and and you've already got that sharing in place It, it it's kind of from an administrative standpoint saves you a lot if you only have one child you're not you're allowed to have a family plan with only one oh. beneficiary so there's almost little or no downside on the family plan <laughs> side you can only transfer that to another sibling
0: right you couldn't transfer that to say a cousin or a a family friend or anything like that
1: the risk when you transfer to uh, a beneficiary is not a sibling and you would see this if you actually look at the transfer form that's on because it's just a standard form is you you risk uh, losing the government incentives you might Uh, have to forfeit and pay those back number one Mm -hmm. number two the contributions then might put that other beneficiary uh, in an over contribution position Uh, I see so then all of a sudden penalties kick in those things aren't as much of a concern when it's siblings
0: Then say we don't have another sibling, if we decide to close the RESP, as the subscriber, what are the options? Do the grants have to be repaid? And what about the accumulated income payments?
1: Yeah, so now we're, you know, we've, we've looked at procrastination, now we're just maybe for whatever reason, we're not doing that, mm-hmm. you know, replace or, or transfer to another sibling, okay, that maybe isn't an option. So now it's like, I wanna close the account as the subscriber. Yeah. Um, so in order for that to even be an option, the the benefit all the beneficiaries if it was a family plan right have to be twenty one or older okay and the RESP has to be open for ten years and then you as the subscriber must be a resident in Canada so let's just a, like just okay. as a, to a foundation so we have to hit that yeah. for this to even be available okay we'll say that it is mm-hmm. uh, so in that case now I want to close the RESP would have to be closed. If I start it in 2023, uh, at, by the if la- first 60 days of 2024. So there there is a window, but it, then it, it's got to be gone. Okay. So now I, I trigger that sort of that situation. So now I can take my contributions, of course, tax-free mm-hmm. because that, that never changes. Yep. And then the government grants, any government incentives, mm-hmm. those get repaid okay. because now we're not taking out, we're not making a withdrawal for education right. purposes. So the government gets their money back. Mm-hmm which leaves us with investment earnings. doesn't matter if the earnings were attributed to the contributions or the grant. It, does, it doesn't matter. They, okay. it's, that's all in the same Oh, bucket. So
0: you keep even the earnings off the grants, but oh, the no. original grants get repaid. Right. Okay. okay. Right. Okay. right.
1: Uh, so those investment earnings now, if I take that in cash as a subscriber, I would pay tax on it at my marginal tax rate. Plus an additional twenty percent. Oh wow! So just okay. like imagine, Peter, your tax rate is forty percent. You're not paying forty yeah, percent, which yeah. people would already think is high enough. You're actually paying six sixty. Okay. Yeah. So the cash option, while there, is you know not that attractive. Usually, people are saying, okay, what are my other options? Right. <laughs> right? Uh, the the most common one I see is you can contribute that amount to your RSP. Okay. Only catches you need to have enough RSP room. It's mm-hmm. treated as a brand new contribution, yeah. but it gets transferred over. You make that new contribution. No, none of the the twenty percent penalty taxes or extra taxes gone. You don't pay tax on it until you ultimately withdraw it from your RSP. Maybe even a RIF okay. years down yeah, the exactly. road, yeah. just like any other yeah. withdrawal from those plans. So that would be the op- one option for the subscriber. The other is if the beneficiary has is eligible for uh, a, re- a registered disability savings plan. Mm-hmm. And you would know that they would have the the disability tax credit, right? And anyone that's knows the process there, like you know, if you're eligible for it or not, it's quite a, it, it's a difficult one to obtain. Yeah. Um, so if they have an RDSP, you could transfer that AIP amount to the RDSP. Okay. And the same thing, the penalties don't apply. It's not taxable today. Mm. Um, the one downside there uh, is that contribution while it uses up the beneficiary's RDSP contribution room, it doesn't get the government grants from the RDSP, Uh, which are very similar to the RESP, but much more uh, lucrative, much more attractive. Uh, So if you're in that boat, it might make sense as a subscriber to do the AIP to your RSP and try and fund the RDSP with other cash, maybe mm-hmm. the contributions you got to back tax-free, uh, yeah. use okay. those so you can get the government grants, which ah. are, are really attractive. Okay, that's a good strategy. Uh, just if that's an option. If that's not an option uh, and, you, you know, the RSP isn't an option, yeah. you know, then you're down to a payment to a designated Canadian edu- institution. So basically okay. a Canadian post-secondary education like institution. Okay. Okay. Um, so the good news is that's not taxable. Right. <laughs> the, the bad news is you yeah. don't get to keep the money either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not a charitable donation. Okay. So that option, I always say, is the last resort. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. It's, you Because know, you end up with zero. Right. Um, if, if I think of, well, you might think, well, who would even do that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one scenario I've seen is when the subscriber is a non-resident. Ah, yes. So okay. you have to be resident to do an AIP so they can't. So ah. that becomes their only option. Yeah. I've also seen it where maybe the investment earnings are an incredibly small amount, like literally dollars and cents. Right. And it's one of those, you know, okay, I'm not transferring $3.82 to my RSP, maybe. It's, again, it's not common. People yeah, will usually yeah. take it, but that's another possible. So the, the taking the, the AIP as cash, uh, that extra
0: 20%, is that a penalty or is that somehow... Uh, does it come back at tax
1: time or no? no yeah, it's like an extra. It's it's, it's an extra penalty. It's like, just an extra, okay. Yeah, I mean it's so I, think, I believe on the CRA's website they call it extra penalty. Okay. Or, <laughs> sorry, extra tax. Extra not, tax. I, you know, I always think of it as a <laughs> penalty. But I think what you're getting at is is it like a is it a permanent tax? Like you pay yes. it, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And and yes, it is. It okay. Is. So, so you, yeah. you really do want to yeah. avoid that. Okay. If you can, absolutely. Um, and 100%. that's why I, I, the procrastination could help. If you don't have RSP room this yes. year, well, if you have a if you're going to wait yeah. next year plan for that AIP leave your leave some RSP room available you know plan ahead a little bit and make yeah. sure you avoid that penalty
0: yeah absolutely and I think that comes back to good planning again with it with a tax professional right because there's so many useful things about RESPs but if you get into a situation where as we just talked about it can get a little bit tricky that's <laughs> so right. planning for the ahead is is always better that's right and the one time when procrastination is good, obviously. Yes, I, I don't know if it does. I'm not like I
1: said. I'm not a fan, but yeah, this in this case, it, it can actually yes, yeah. it, it can be a viable option. Yeah, for sure. I know if
0: I had an open account that I wasn't using, I'd be like, <laughs> I it's got to get closed. I need you know, I need some finality on this. But yes. um, so uh, that's that's been an interesting discussion. Do you have anything else to add? Maybe a summary or something, uh, some wise words to leave the listeners with.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think with the RESP, I, I would say you know, ideally. Use it for education purposes, right? Like, and so when a student does go to school, mm-hmm. you know, look at making sure you, you maximize uh, the, its use, especially the EAP. Yeah. It's, that's what it's designed for. And from a tax efficiency perspective, that that will probably be the most effective use. I think that's pretty easy to do if the RESP balance is less than the education cost, which we were kind of talking about how much those have gone up and, uh, that we've seen. So that that might be... It might not. It might be fairly easy to do if that's the case. If if your RESP happens to be quite substantial and maybe is going to be more than the cost of of your child's education, you know uh, this might be where you plan ahead and make sure maybe you take extra EAPS out while the student is eligible. If you can't and and that happens, you can't use it for education purposes. Really look at those AIP options, RSP in particular, and, and see if you can get that taxable portion in the RSP and, and take out the contributions tax free. Uh, where you can, and um, the advisors are well positioned. If you're you're not sure, there's so many rules with RESP's. Planning ahead, you know, when that you when know, that student is 16, 17 years old, start calling, you know, knocking on your advisor's door and saying, "Let's have a chat about this. We're we're going to need to withdraw, I think, coming yeah. soon." And you know, make sure you're you've got your ducks in a row, and you yeah. should reap the rewards of the RESP for sure. That's what strikes me
0: about these. I'm always when I look at these products, I'm always like, "Is this?" Is this a good thing you know and but then you as talking with you have figured out that yeah it is if you use it for what it's intended for like it's almost the perfect tool and then I think that on top of that is just that that forward planning like you said like it's not just the year of it's you know my child is 16 we're starting to think about this advisor what do I need to know and they'll be well versed in in helping you and talking through your options so
1: absolutely. It's probably about the time you're looking at college appla- or university applications, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, it's yeah. kind of scary. I have to remember back oh, when geez. I was that age, which <laughs> is going to be hard to do. But <laughs> if you are, maybe that's the, the, the kind of the trigger point. If I'm looking at yeah. apl- applications, let's look yeah. at the saving side and, yeah. and, and see how that we're going to draw that down. Let's take a full well. look at how we're going to pay for this. Yeah, <laughs> it's a perfect opportunity, absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for being on Solutions to Go. It was an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Peter.
0: Thanks a lot. It was really great having Curtis back on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, Curtis was also on episode 10, giving advice on how to help your kids get on the property ladder. I took a few things away from this conversation, but the most important, and I think it applies to a lot in life, is good planning. RESPs are a great tool to fund an education, but situations may change. It's always good to touch base with your advisor and make sure you're on the right track. If you're enjoying Solutions to Go, Please hit the like button and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Peter Ward, and thanks for listening. Copyright Manulife. Commentary is for general information purposes only and shouldn't be relied on for specific financial, legal, or other advice and does not constitute an offer or an invitation by or on behalf of Manulife Investment Management to any person to buy or sell any security. Opinions expressed are those of Manulife and or the sub-advisor of Manulife Investment Management and are subject to change based on market or other conditions. Manulife isn't responsible for any losses arising from any use of this information. Manulife Mutual Funds are managed by Manulife Investments, a division of Manulife Investment Management Limited. Manulife Investment Management Limited, formerly named Manulife Asset Management Limited. Manulife Investment Management is a trade name of Manulife Investment Management Limited. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. This information does not replace or supersede KYC, know your client suitability, needs analysis, or any other regulatory requirements.